Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I'm Eric Erlinson from Lightning Insider. Dot com along with my co-host Greg Manelli. You can catch him on Lightning Power Play noon Monday through Friday with Dave Michigan for Power Lunch, as well as the pregame, postgame, and intermission host for all Lightning radio broadcasts. And we're happy to have you here again as we talk all things Tampa Bay Lightning in the middle of this pandemic season, this COVID season. And the Lightning, of course, are off to a great start. Although, Greg, some would argue that right now, potentially, Maybe not so great. You know, E, first off, good to be with you. And I'm wondering, do we need to say whoever wins the cup this year? And do we have to rename the Stanley Cup last year the COVID Cup? (laughs) I think we should. If if last year was COVID Cup, what's this year? Hmm. COVID Cup 2? COVID Cup Cup (laughs) 2. Well, well, no matter what we name it, I just hope that next season we can just go back to calling it the Stanley Cup. And, you know, listen, we don't know all the reports, and I'm going to answer your question here in just a second. Uh, We don't know all the reports yet, but let's hope what Vancouver is going through right now, it's they're going to be okay. And I know there's been various reports on in terms of the different type of strains of the COVID um, virus they may be getting. And certainly I, I think these are legitimate questions as to whether or not they're going to be able to complete their season or get that full 56 game season. And you and I have had this conversation before, and these were the reasons why I, I, I don't think, especially teams that are out of the playoff picture might not be able to finish the season. And I think the NHL is just going to have to be flexible with uh, teams that may have to cancel their season sooner than they'd like, or to extend their season. <laughs> just a bit for those reasons, because things like this do pop up. So, I mean, that's, that's for another show, probably something to keep an eye on, but we hope, you know, they're, they're okay. And they're, they're dealing with the best they can to answer your question in terms of the ebbs and flows of the season. And, you know, a lot of people are upset about the way the lighting are playing. And in many ways I can understand that and acknowledge it. I do think you're not seeing the same level of desperation right now from the lighting that you are seeing from other teams. Some of that I think is just naturally, uh, some of it is injuries, you know, Chernak on the back end not being there. I think they miss him more than we think. I think they are relying on Vassy way too much. And I understand that to some extent. He's the best goaltender in the world. I'm not going to get too down on the team. I think there are some things that you and I can discuss that they need to fix. But as I said before on Power Lunch the other day, I'm more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt to figure this thing out once the playoffs begin because of what they accomplished last year. And honestly, all things being equal, how well they've played this year when we talk about how tough it is to repeat, especially that following year. 
Yeah, and, and I've got some uh, observations and what we've seen out of them here the past week plus or so. First of all, we talked a lot, obviously, about the eight games in 13 days. It's a difficult schedule. There's no doubt about it. I think it does take its toll on the team. I think you're seeing the results of that. They came through that with a pretty good record um, at the end of it uh, before they got that two days off. But then they jumped right back into another stretch of, what are they playing, six games in 10 days. Uh, here by the time you get to Saturday against Nashville. So I, I think that's part of it. Uh, I think it's no coincidence that it's the top players on the team right now that are struggling, uh, at least offensively. I mean, you know, I had it in my story today uh, that, that came out of uh, Sunday's game against Detroit, the lack of production from Steven Stamkos and Andre Palat and Alex Kalorn and Tyler Johnson and Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev, like eight of their top 10 scorers are going through a slump at the same time. And it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that those are also your top minute guys. So I think we're seeing a little bit of that. And I think you're also seeing a team that won a championship last year in the middle of this type of a season. And yes, it's, I think it's good in a sense that they're being pushed by both Florida and Carolina because the way that they're playing, the Hurricanes and the Panthers, uh, pushes Tampa Bay. And we saw this a couple years ago with the record-tying season in 2019 where the provoking thought after they got swept by Columbus was once they hit adversity, they didn't know how to handle it in that series against the Blue Jackets. Well, you know, when two teams are pushing you like this and you hit a little bit of adversity, maybe it pushes you out of it a little bit quicker than maybe in the past. And, uh, you know, I think John Romano had the question uh, of uh, Ryan McDonough after Sunday's game against Detroit. Is it any sense that the season is just a little mundane right now because of the same teams you're playing every night and uh, everything like that? And, of course, a player is never going to say, yeah, that's, that's a big part of this. They're never going to say that but I don't think it, it can't be factored into it. So I, I just don't think it's any coincidence that a team coming off a championship just past the midway point of the shortened season, their big minute guys are all struggling to produce at the same time. I think that's what you get right here. And you're not seeing, I think the word you used, it was desperation. Uh, like I'm watching the team against Detroit on Sunday and they just didn't seem to have that push whether it's on purpose and I don't think it is or it's just the seasons kind of bog them down a little bit here past the 30 game point um, I, I just think that you're, you're watching a team that is the, the right effort is there but not the right energy is there and, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing with this team right now and, and certainly Andre Vasilevsky has covered up for some of those uh, mistakes that they have made in games so now it's just about kind of resetting things here down the final month of the season is that's kind of where we're at right now uh, to kind of get things back on track because there have been plenty of spurts in the first half of the season where this team was dominant and looked like a team that had won a Stanley Cup championship before. Yeah, and, and I think they are relying on Bassey a bit too much, probably more so than we anticipated this year. Some of that, I think, is with the injuries starting to pile up. I think the other teams are playing uh, – better this time around than when we saw them earlier in the year. I think Detroit is a good example of that, but I think they are relying way too much on Vassie, which is one of the reasons why we've discussed Vassie being MVP. I think more so than you'd like to admit on a first place team and a team that is as talented as Tampa Bay, they have had to go to their goaltender one too many times to bail them out. And I think 
they're going to figure that out. E once the playoffs begin, I think there will be a renewed focus on structure and being patient and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But right now up to this point, I think they've probably relied on Vasi way more than they would like. Now I think that does change, but time will tell and we'll see how that plays out. I agree with you. I, I think the offense I'm not too concerned about because I, I think offenses go in slumps. I think every goal scorer does that. They're streaky. It's hard to score in today's NHL. Detroit blocked a lot of shots the last uh, two games. They really kept things to the outside. I think Braden points mini slump before he kind of exploded with three games and uh, three goals in two games uh, against the Red Wings is something that... Um, was welcome, but I, I think you're seeing teams defend the Lightning offensive players better. And to me, that's going to happen. You're going to go through those slumps. To your point, you don't anticipate all of your stars going through that, but so be it. Get it out now, and hopefully in the playoffs, you know, you're winning games probably 3-2, 2-1, a bit more than you are 6-5, 5-4. And also, to the loss of Kucherov, I think, would help free up some extra looks for some of those players that are going through some slumps right now because of his ability to shoot and pass. So I'm not completely concerned about the offense. I think that will come. I think defensively, I'm more inclined to say they'll tighten things up once the lights are on and there is a level of desperation that they meet that other teams are giving them right now because they need to get into the playoffs. But I do think there are some things structurally they need to do to clean things up. Why they aren't doing it as much right now I think in part, this goes to a a long season, even one that's 56 games. You're playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. You're not getting the practice time, which I think helps in an underrated way. So I I think you're seeing a lot of things come to uh, come to fruition here in a negative way. That's giving Tampa Bay some bigger issues than, than we would like, but I'm not concerned because I think they eventually will figure this out. But I think it does hit home a couple of points when it comes to the Lightning is that they need to to play probably a little dirtier game offensively, kind of follow what the fourth line has been doing, where it's more north-south, pay the price a bit more. And also, too, I think, you know, the loss of Chernak has been noticeable on the back end, you know, giving that physical presence there. And I think it's something that um, maybe we didn't realize at the beginning of the year, and it probably speaks to how good he's been so far this season. Yeah, to the um, getting to those hard areas of the ice, what does that take? That takes energy and commitment, right? And if you don't have the energy and commitment to get there, you're not going to get there. You have to work your way to those areas. So that's why I think that, uh, you know, again, watching the game on Sunday, they just didn't have the right type of energy where Detroit did. Detroit, like everybody look at the record and, you know, I had people saying it was an embarrassing loss and, hey, it's on national TV. How can they lose and get embarrassed on national TV? Detroit plays hard. Like, I know their record is not very good. And I know the Lightning's dominance of Detroit's has been well documented throughout this season when they've met so many times, the 17 straight home wins and the now 22 and two or 22 and one record uh, in the past 23 meetings. But they play hard. A lot of those games that Tampa Bay has played against them have been close, uh, one goal games, whatever they might be. But they play the game hard because they have to. That's the only way Detroit has a chance to win games because they don't have the depth or the overall talent of a lot of other teams in the NHL. Um, So that's how they have to go out and beat Tampa Bay. And if you're not willing to kind of match their work ethic a little bit and and commit yourself to checking and look, I don't think defensively Tampa Bay was awful in those, those two games against uh, the the Red Wings. I thought defensively they were fine. 
Uh, they had a couple of breaks that didn't go their way. And, you know, well, you know, the Christopher Gibson starts uh, didn't go very well for him uh, either. Uh, so, you know, but you have to play with that right kind of energy. And I don't think they did it uh, against uh, Detroit. And as far as Chernak, uh, I mean, look, we, we talked about this since the start of the season that Eric Chernak is by far their best right-handed shot defenseman. And if they were going to lose him for any period of time, you were going to feel that void. And then they're feeling it right now. Uh, he's he, Eric Chernak has taken another step. I know you've talked with Ryan Englom about this quite a bit and on the last call. But he has just taken a, a different step this season in, in terms of his understanding of how to play the game and where to play the game and where to make the right reads and everything like that. I, you know, you're certainly missing his uh, presence back there. And hopefully it won't be too long. Uh, we thought it was just a bruise, but, you know, I, I guess wherever that puck hit him in that game in Dallas, it's, uh, it can be a pretty sensitive area because it's one of the few places that the player doesn't have any protection on them. And, uh, so hopefully it's not too much longer, but uh, there's no doubt that they miss him. And and what that then does with Chernak out, okay, he's a top four defenseman, obviously. All of a sudden now those minutes have to be spread out amongst other players. So again, we've said it, Victor Hedman all of a sudden has to play some more minutes. And Ryan McDonough has come back since we talked last week and he has to play some more minutes. And Mikhail Sergachev has to play some more minutes. So now your top defensemen are getting a, a few more minutes per game than they had been previously. So you start to see the domino effect when you miss a guy like Eric Chernak because you're having to play players out of position and maybe players have to take up more of a, uh, an expanded role uh, and more ice time and more responsibility than they normally would have. So there's no doubt it has a domino and a trickle-down effect when you're missing a guy like Chernak because he has turned out to be a very valuable member of this B-Corps. A couple areas I want to go there because you're right. I think Chernak, I've said this to you on this show, on our, our podcast. I think the steps he's taken in his development have been the same in terms of jump that we saw Sergachev take last year. And I think that's one of the reasons why the back end, even though it's not as deep, has a chance to be just as talented, assuming all those guys are are playing well and are are healthy. I I, I actually think that's that's fair when you talk about Chernak's abilities. And one of the reasons why when we talked about, you know, the expansion draft, why we think he's probably the guy you have to keep uh, in addition to Hedman and Sergachev. And we'll get into that for another show. But I think that speaks to how good he's become. Uh, two points. Uh, I know we want to get to Ben Thomas because I think it ties into the depth on the back end. Trade deadline coming up in about a week. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. I think Ben Thomas almost can be an answer to some of those questions we may have when it comes to addressing the depth. Brian Engblom, to his credit, has brought this up. He brought it up on the radio broadcast on Sunday. We've talked about Tampa Bay's offensive woes a bit here, and, and rightfully so. You mentioned you know, you've got six, seven, eight guys right now who are struggling to, to fill the net. I'm not completely concerned about it because I think they have enough guys that will eventually figure that out. Slumps happen. I think you agree with that as well. But he made the point about Mikhail Sergachev, which is very interesting. And what did Brian say? That I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you could tell he's frustrated in Sergachev that he only has two goals. And specifically, he hasn't been able to get his shot on net as much as he would like. And for somebody who is as good as Sergachev is with his shot. I thought it was a really interesting point because... 
now that I'm thinking about it, it's not the past couple of games that have hit home that point. How many times has Sergachev had an opportunity where he's just missed the net completely? I remember that a lot of times this year. He's got two goals. And one of the things that's been impressive about Chernak's game is his ability to get the shot on net. And I think Sergachev, who has, I think, as much upside offensively as any defenseman on that roster, probably needs to refine his game a bit from the back end in terms of getting that lethal shot on net. I don't know if that means taking a little bit off and maybe not being as too cute to pick the corners. But he, it's almost like a wasted weapon back there if you can't get that shot through. We talk often about offense coming from the forwards, and that's that's true. But part of what makes this back end so unique, they're not the greatest defensively, but they've got some dynamic offensive players that separates them from a lot of back ends. Hedman obviously speaks to where he is. Last year was Hedman, Shattenkirk, and, and Sergachev. They were, they were fantastic from that standpoint. But Sergachev, I think, has another level to get to offensively, and a lot of it he stems from just, I think, getting that shot through. Have you noticed that as well? And I don't know how to fix it outside of just, you know, look, easier said than done. Maybe not being too fine with your shot, because I think that would probably help out the offense a bit. Because, uh, I mean, Mikhail Sergachev is top 10 in the league amongst defensemen, I believe, in assists. So where do you think that comes from? That comes from his shot generating yeah. um, rebounds and, and chaos and, you know, knockdown in front and, and those type of rebound opportunities as well. I think, and I, and I, and I certainly noticed this in, in Sunday's game uh, when Brian brought the point up to you that uh, he's, he is getting, at least on Sunday for sure, he got more shots blocked than I'm used to seeing. And, and I don't wonder if that's the league adjusting to Mikhail Sergachev. And now he has to readjust to how, players are defending him right like there's plenty of tape now uh, everybody's aware of the moves that he can put on on the blue line I mean, we haven't seen too many you know as our friend Jay Retcher likes to call it the Sergey shake at the blue line we haven't seen as much of that this year uh, so I, I don't wonder if that's the league adjusting to him and him kind of having to uh, tweak his game a little bit and trying to get shots through and finding lanes to get through uh, you know, and I don't know if he's trying to be too fine with a shot. Like, th- there's always a difference, too, between taking a shot and trying to score, right? Like, like we, I know Brian's talked a lot about that with Victor Hedman, where before Victor would just kind of shoot the puck, and then there are times where he's shooting to score. And certainly his wrist shot that he had uh, in Sunday's game was an element of where he was shooting to score. But there are other times where defensemen in particular – will shoot to try and get pucks through. And if it goes in, great. But what you're trying to do is get rebounds. But you have to get it past that first defender. And I, I've, I have noticed teams in general, not just against Mikhail Sergachev, but other players on this team, they are more aggressive on the puck than I remember seeing teams play against Tampa Bay. Is that because Tampa Bay is such a high offensive team that if you, you can force them into mistakes, that's probably part of it. Uh, if you take away a player's time and space, that forces them into maybe unforced or forced errors in this case or not even getting off as good of a quality shot or having to just dump the puck in the corner. But I have noticed teams in particular being a little bit more aggressive against the puck handler uh, when the lighting are set up in the zone um, 
you know, even strength. So I, I think it's some of it is that as well. So I think a lot of it with Sergachev is just trying to have to adjust to how defense and, and defenders are playing against him now. So he can get that shot through because Brian's point is, is well taken that it is a, a weapon back there. And if he's not going to get the shot through, it's not being utilized to its full potential, which is going to bog down your offense a little bit. So uh, that's a great observation by Brian. We shouldn't be surprised by that. He's great at what he does. Yeah, um, but you know, Sergachev is a big part of this team's offense, and 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 to do that, he has to get pucks toward the net. Doesn't have to be necessarily on net, but it has to get past that first wave of of blockers. And he's been good at it in the past, so there's no reason to think he can't do it again. Yeah, and you know, like I said, it's one of those things where I'm not completely worried about, but I think it is something when we talk about Sergachev's game and evolving into the defenseman. I think we know he can be it seems like now this is the next hurdle for him to overcome, particularly when the team is struggling a bit offensively. That goal number two doesn't match the talent. And every every player goes through this. I understand that. I think for him now, the next step in his game is, am I going to be a seven to eight goal defenseman? Or can he be a 15 goal defenseman, almost getting close to 20 with that shot? And how do you get there? How do you go from a guy who's getting his shot blocked to one that's at least getting it through and creating more scoring opportunities for your teammates? That, that to me, is just something when Brian mentioned that, it, it, it is sticking out because I think, to me, that'll be the next step in his evolution, he becoming a, a really elite defenseman in this league. And it, I think it's just something to, to watch. And I think it's something if he can refine his game a bit here when it comes to that, then I think Tampa Bay really has a dangerous back end offensively um i want to i want to touch on ben thomas because i know that's been a topic and we know the trade deadline is coming up next week and i'm wondering if you feel this way as much as i do that even though it's only one game and i don't know how many more he's going to get before the deadline he may get a couple more he may not get any i don't know but i'm wondering because of how much experience he has in their organization over 260 plus games playing at syracuse is that because of their cap situation and how tough it is for them to go out and get a veteran defenseman is that is Thomas's experience on the back end in the minors and what he has shown at the NHL level, albeit of all a very small sample size. Do you think that may be enough for them to say, we don't have to go out and get somebody to address the right side depth wise. We've got Ben Thomas. And even though he hasn't played a ton of NHL games, the one or two he's played in while we don't feel completely comfortable throwing him out there in a playoff game. It's probably our best option right now, considering how up against the cap we are. Do you feel like these next couple of games, if he does get in, will tell us kind of what their thinking is when it comes to Thomas and where they feel they are on the back end? Look, I think the salary cap has dictated what they're thinking. It's it, it, Ben Thomas and, you know, we'll get into it, but no matter who you have in the organization, you know, when your general manager come out and says, we have no cap space and the only way we can make a move is a dollar, dollar in, dollar out type of hockey, hockey deal. Uh, that's the only thing you need to know what they're thinking heading in the trade deadline. Can Ben Thomas's play change that? I don't think so because you've only got three more games before the trade deadline, three games in Columbus and one in Nashville. And then the trade deadline is here on the 12th. So, I don't think Thomas's play or even experience or understanding of, of who he is and how he's developed, you know, through his first four years as a pro within the organization, now in his fifth year, 
with them. Uh, first of all, I will say I was impressed with, with Thomas's debut. I thought he uh, read the play well. There were times you saw him jump up in the play, which, you know, Ryan McDonough talked about it after the game. That's important for the Lightning defenseman to be able to be part of the offense and join the rush. And he didn't hesitate. And I think a lot of credit goes to Ben Grew and the coaching staff in Syracuse for Thomas being able to understand exactly how the team wants him to play. You know, he ends up with over 14 minutes of ice time. Um, again, didn't look out of place. I know he was on the ice for the third Detroit goal on Sunday but other than that I, I thought he had a very good debut for a player and you know he's been around for a while this is you know he's not a, a true uh, rookie pro or first or second year like a guy like Cal Foot or Sergeyev when we saw come up and he doesn't have the pedigree of those guys either but I thought he came in and, and handled himself very well so can that change how they think about depth on the right hand side I, I don't know I, I think they're comfortable with with who they think Ben Thomas is and it takes more than just, let's say he plays all three games before the trade deadline. And that's a possibility. We don't know when Chernak is coming back. Jan Ruda is out on a week-to-week situation, so they're obviously thin on the right side. Is three games going to change how they think or feel about it? I don't think so. So I, I think heading into the trade deadline, they have an idea of what they would want to do, but it, it's going to be difficult to pull anything off. Um, and if they don't make any moves at all, you know, then Thomas will get a little bit more time and, you know, if, if they suffer injury on the right-hand side, at least now you know what a Ben Thomas could potentially do on the right side if you have to, you know, if depending on how long Root is out and, and when Chernak comes back, if you have to put him in the lineup, at least now you know what he looks like at the NHL level. I think that's part of this as well is, be, is to give a player now in his fifth year with the organization a chance. You know, we see it plenty of time with the forwards. You know, we've seen it with Alex Barry Belay this year and Ross Colton and what he's been able to do. You know, they like to give these guys a taste and a feel and a look to see how they handle themselves at the NHL level and make determinations and evaluations off of that. So uh, I, I think Thomas, are they comfortable with putting him in the playoff game? They might not have a choice. And I think that's what it comes down to. But at least if it does come to that, at least yeah. you know now within a few games that he's not going to look overwhelmed or out of place. And I think that's important. Well, you know what it is, too? Because, look, you, you and I don't want to fall into that rabbit hole, which we don't. We, we've watched a lot of sports over the years, and we've seen young guys come up and have an impactful week or two, and then they end up going back to what they basically were, which is not a starter. Let's put it that way. And I think, you know, a guy that comes to mind was a Jake Dotchin who a lot of people got really high on and spent some time, a decent amount of time with the Tampa Bay Lightning, ran into some problems, whether it was on the ice or off the ice, and I don't think he's in the National Hockey League anymore. So we understand you can't get too excited about a prospect. What I'm saying is he, in this particular instance, because they're up against the cap, the fact that Ben Thomas was able to do very well in his debut and not basically fall flat on his face, and maybe that bar isn't too high, but understanding where they are with the cap and the limited options they have, in the minor leagues, I'm wondering for this year, is Ben Thomas going to just be good enough for what they can actually do compared to another year where they may actually go out and get a veteran defenseman who has played 450 games at the National Hockey League level or 150 games like a Cameron Gantz or well, obviously a little less than that, but somebody who's a little bit more accomplished than Ben Thomas. In other words, this year specifically, the fact that Ben Thomas basically didn't fall flat on his face is that going to be good enough for the Tampa Bay Lightning to sit there and say, you know what, we still don't know about Ben, but honestly, considering where we are, 
with the cap, the fact that we don't have to go out and try and make a move with the cap situation and, and where we are right now, this is probably as good as it's going to be. And we're okay with Ben Thomas for this year. Yeah. yeah again, I, I think the cap dictates that move. I don't think Thomas's play sways them one way or the other. If they want to go out and add a better defenseman, they're going to do it no matter how well Ben Thomas looks. So you think, you, I guess so that was my question. So you think regardless, they will be able, they, they are going to, if they have to, they will go out and get a veteran defenseman. If they can do it, I think they will. I don't think like I don't think you I don't think you you can afford yourself if you're the lightning in the position you are trying to defend the Stanley Cup. I don't think you can sit back and say that you 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 are so comfortable with a player who's played four NHL games by the time you get to the trade deadline that that changes your trade deadline tactic. I, I don't think that's the case. Well, I guess the question um, is, what is your definition of if they can do it, they will? I mean, if they can make a blockbuster move within the salary cap issues they have, they may do that. I think the chances of them doing that are, are less likely with understanding where they are at the cap. When we say if they can make a move, they will. What are we talking about? I, I guess that's the question I get asked a lot too. Is is this talking about taking a player off the NHL roster who's making the same amount for a player coming in? Is it, you know, getting somebody who's making less than a million dollars and giving up a traffic? Like when you say that, what do you think is the most reasonable outcome to make a trade when it comes to what Tampa Bay would have to give up? Because I agree with you, they could do whatever they want. The question is, will they, and do they want to? I think they want to. I think they would like to add a veteran defenseman and a right-handed shot. The problem is, is that there's a lot of teams looking for right-handed shots. And when you're in that position, guess what that does? It drives up price. It, it drives up the cost of bringing a player like that. And the only way that Tampa Bay is going to be able to do this is either player for player, dollar for dollar, at least within a close proximity range, or you're going to have to manipulate other things of the tread deadline or the other of your roster, which they don't have as much flexibility now as they did before, because again, right now, the only players who are not, uh, who are, or are waiver exempt is Cal foot and Ross Colton. So those are the, though you could take players, those players off your roster and sit them on a taxi squad and take them out of the lineup to make it work salary cap wise, but you can't, you don't have, the flexibility cap wise to make a futures for a now, you know, you can't do, and last year was an extreme, of course, but you, you can't do a Blake Coleman for a first and Nolan foot. You can't do a Barkley Goodrow for a first. You can't add in any significant salary whatsoever without uh, having to move money out at the same time. So Let me even, ask you this. even if you wanted to bring in, even a, even a player who's, $800,000, $900,000, if that's their salary cap hit, you still have to make a move to complement that. And that's, and that's when you start to get to the question, is Ben Thomas, who we know right now, better than this guy who maybe has 300 games of NHL experience who's going to have to add cap space to us? That's the, that's the situation we're going to start about Ben Thomas versus potential player bringing. So what's right interesting, in. I think you bring up some really good points. I think the – one of the fascinating things I ask myself is we're so used to looking at this roster right now. And at least for me, for the most part, you're like, yeah, I'm probably going to keep that roster intact. I mean, I know Tyler Johnson's been a, a nice topic. I just don't see anybody taking him if that's the route they want to go. And I know Tyler, Tyler Johnson and John Cooper have a special relationship. And I think when push comes to shove, Tyler Johnson's going to be given an opportunity to show what he can do in the playoffs. 
who who sits because of that decision, I think remains to be seen. I guess my question is, E, how important, how big of a need is it to get a depth defenseman? You can never have enough. And, and, would you, and if, if that's the case, understanding the salary probably has to be the same. Yeah. What are you willing to give up? Would you give up a Matthew Joseph for a depth defenseman? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question because yeah. I, I'm inclined to say no, but as you know, those third and fourth liners are the ones that basically there's change. There's changeover every year with a third and fourth line, because those are the guys that aren't locked in basically to long-term deals. We have seen Jamel Smith and Mitchell Stevens to a lesser extent, Alex Barry Boulay come up and fill certain roles, probably more inclined to be on the third and fourth lines, the way this team is constructed. But if somebody went to you understanding that the, the salary has to be similar, is the depth defenseman a big enough deal for you that can be a difference on this team that you'd be willing to give up? Let's say if they ask for Matthew Joseph in return, would you think long and hard about making that move? Because I think that's probably the only move I would make when it comes to anybody on that roster, understanding that nobody's going to take Johnson at this point. At least that's my opinion. I'm wondering is because that to me is your biggest chip within reason that might be able to bring back what you need. And we always talk about, this is about winning now, not five years from now with this team, the way it's intact with Cooch, Cooch coming back. It hasn't been talked a lot about E, but I'm wondering, is he the one player you'd look at and say, you know what, for a depth defenseman, I may entertain it. I guess it would depend on what you qualify a depth defenseman there as. Because if, I, if, I'm, if I'm moving a player such as a Joseph or one of the other depth forwards, because they do still have plenty of depth at the forward position, is the defenseman I'm acquiring, is he insurance or is he in my top six? And I guess that changes my thought process on what I would do. Because if you're if you're trading Matthew Joseph for a guy who may or may not even crack your top six, I'm not doing it. It has to be for a guy that's going to come in and play, not provide me depth. Come well, in don't and play. you think that's that's basically though the defenseman we're talking about here? It depends. I mean, I, I don't know if I mean to get a top six, even you know a bottom pairing defenseman in today's NHL, understanding what the lightning have to offer or maybe what they don't have to offer. I don't know if, if a, they need a top six and if they have the assets or are willing to part with the assets and maybe this is the bigger point, have the financial flexibility to bring in a top six defenseman. I'm always looking at the depth guy as somebody who's making less than a million, who's got some NHL experience, not a ton has played a bit, almost like a, a better version of Luke Shen. You kind of know what you get. He's not a starter, but can fill in admirably. I mean, Zach Bogosian in many ways was that guy a bit for the lighting, although he ended up fitting in the top six. But you got him relatively cheap. That's what I'm... Honestly, if they got the top six, I would think you'd have to give up more. I'm thinking more of your seventh, eighth, and ninth defenseman. That's why I said, how big of an issue is your depth going to be? Because I don't see anybody they get as bumping anybody from their top six when healthy from the lineup. Uh, then I'm not sure I consider trading a, a 23-year-old forward who's taken huge strides from last year and, and taking a big step in his development if I'm bringing in an eighth or a ninth defenseman. I'm not doing it. Um, you know, if you can find that, find a way for me, that to work with draft picks, that's great. If you can manipulate the cap to work it out, that's great. I'm not giving up a Matthew Joseph for a guy that I don't think can play in my top six. 
I'm not doing it. Um, even if it's a, because any player that you're probably bringing in has to be on an expiring contract or a rental player. I don't know if I'm willing to give up a Matthew Joseph or a player of that caliber for a, a rental who might play five games. I, I just, I can't justify that in my mind. Yeah, you need, you need the depth. You do need some insurance. Uh, we're seeing that right now because without Chernak and without Ruda, they're pretty thin on the back end on the right side. So I, I think I think a right-handed shot D is a is a major area of concern and need if they get more injuries. Um, but I'm I don't know if I'm willing to give up a player of that caliber as for insurance because I, I don't know. So um, but, but here, here's the other thing too. Remember when Julian came out in the summer and talked about the roster they put together to take to the bubble. Mm-hmm. They, they put all this thought into it as they do. They're so thorough in what they do that they talked about no team in that, that went on to a Stanley cup final needed more than nine defensemen on the roster. So that's why Calfoot didn't go to the bubble. Right. So now if we're going to talk about nine defensemen, you know, now, now you are getting a little bit deeper onto that depth chart. But again, I don't know if I'm willing to give up a Matthew Joseph. For the well, that, I think that's what you have to – that's why I'm, I, I want to have this conversation openly for some people because what is your definition of depth? Top six, I don't look as depth. I mean, I, I look I, – I think their top six is, is legit. When I think of depth, I'm thinking, okay, who is the seventh and eighth and ninth defenseman? And so that is the question I'm asking for everybody out there is how important is that to you to make sure that you have enough defensemen capable of coming in when injuries do occur? And I agree with you. I'm not sure I'd go out and get a top six defenseman. I don't think that fits in financially first off with what they get, even a, you know, like I said, a bottom pairing defenseman. I think those guys, it's going to cost you a bit more. My question was more of the seventh, eighth and ninth defenseman. What are you willing to give up to get that, to give you a little bit of a security blanket? And is Ben Thomas, is he just going to have to be the best option now? based off of everything you and I just discussed that we're not willing to give up a ton for a top six defenseman, because I, I just, I don't think they need it. I think they need a seventh or eighth or ninth defenseman. The question is, do you think you give up Matthew Joseph for that guy? Uh, and if not, is Ben Thomas, if they don't make a move and Ben Thomas is that guy, is that good enough for you? Again, I'm not giving up a player for a eighth or ninth defenseman. Uh, you know, so if that's the case, then I'm, then I'm, I'm fine with keeping Matthew Joseph and looking at Ben Thomas and saying, okay, get your experience now. Cause we might have to call on you. Um, that's, that's the route I would go. It, you know, there are other, there are other ways to bring in a eighth, ninth defenseman outside of giving up a top nine forward. And, and I don't know Joseph's playing in the fourth line role, but he is to, in my mind, he's a top nine type of forward. Uh, because if, if you look at the return that Alex Volkov got back, you know, is Joseph and Volkov are somewhat comparable. They're about the same points uh, age-wise in their careers. Joseph got the opportunity this year that Volkov did not seize. Uh, but, you know, the return wasn't that much. And some of that is because other teams know the, the cap situation that the Lightning are in. They're not going to do them any favors. Um, you're probably going to have to overpay. And then if I have to overpay to get that, boy, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it is a need, uh, but I don't know if you can overpay and take away too much of your depth up front to bring in a guy, again, who might not play more than a couple of games. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, I like what Joseph has done. I don't know what his upside is. He, I, I still don't know if the hands are going to catch up with the feet. 
I think that is a big question mark. Uh, at times, I like what I've seen when they have moved him up. I think his speed is always going to be there. Is is Matthew Joseph going to be more of a Carl Hagelin or somebody else whose hands do catch up with his feet? I think that's a fair question to ask. He certainly has had a bounce back year. What he has done on the fourth line has been remarkable. I think Ross Colton has done a very good job complimenting Maroon and Joseph, but I'm not sure what the upside is with Matthew yet. I don't. And that's a good thing in some ways. But I think from what I've seen, I think he's a guy that has the, the wheels to be in a top six. Let's put it that way. I don't know if he has the hands yet. And that may come. Um, but I'm not sure he'd be the guy to get that first shot if some guys depart after this year to be in that top six role. I'd be curious to see what Barry Boulay can do uh, in those roles. And I'm almost inclined to keep Joseph in a bottom six role because I think at least where I'm looking at his skill sets, that's where I see him tapping out. But I could be wrong. And I, I hope for Joseph's case, I am. But it, it is, I'm, I'm less inclined to give up Joseph at the deadline because I think that fourth line has been their best line in many ways the last two weeks because I think they know their limitations and I think they play a pretty simple game. I'm not sure I'd want to mess with that. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then if you look at the goal that Joseph scored in Carolina, the one that he scored to open the third period that tied the game, that's a sign that his hands are getting there. Right? Like he, he dropped to his it knee and roofed it. It is. Over, uh, over James Reimer. So that's a good sign in terms of him figuring out that part of his game. Keep getting better. Yep, keep getting better. And that's what he's done. He's taken huge strides this year. And then the fourth line conversation brings us to this topic because it's it's going to be something that's coming to the forefront here because Mitchell Stevens is close to coming back. He's in Syracuse on a rehab assignment. He played a couple of games over the weekend, picked, picked up a few assists. We'll see if they bring him back for this four-game road trip or not, or if they leave him there uh, to go through a, what is typically a two-week conditioning assignment. And I've gotten that question a lot. You know, how long can a, a conditioning assignment be? Normally, it's two weeks. It can be extended if the player agrees to it. Of course, teams can shorten it. Uh, we saw this with Peter Morazic with Carolina. He got one rehab start, conditioning start for Carolina. And he was back in the lineup and, oh, by the way, pitched a shutout <clears throat> in his first game back. So conditioning assignments are flexible. Usually, it's, it's about two weeks, though, which typically in a normal AHL season would be maybe three to five games. Um, I haven't looked at. Syracuse's schedule, so I don't know what, what, what it is this week. Their schedule has been moved all around because of some issues uh, with the teams that they play. But this now brings up the question. When Mitchell Stevens is ready to come back, Ross Colton has played so well, but the typical adage is you don't lose your spot due to injury. But I think the way that Ross Colton is playing, I don't think you can even entertain the idea of bringing him out of the lineup at this point because he's played so well. He's got such good chemistry with Pat Maroon and with Matthew Joseph. I don't know that there's a spot right now for Mitchell Stevens to get in the lineup when he does come back and he is ready to play. All right. So I got a, I've been thinking a lot about this and I've heard a lot of people say what you have said and it makes sense. It's an, it's a big part of the sports debate when things like this happen do you lose your job to an injury? And to that, I'd say, 
Mitchell Stevens has played 42 career NHL games. By no means is he an accomplished NHL player. So pardon me, E, if I take the route. Yeah, when he comes back, he's not getting back into the lineup unless the coach chooses to put him back at the expense of Ross Colton. I'm sorry. We're not talking about a Steven Stamkos. We're not even talking about a Yanni Gord who has less games to his his belt under his belt than Steven Stamkos does. Mitchell Stevens isn't a finished product. And when you deal with bottom six guys who haven't played a ton, just because they've showed a little bit here and there doesn't mean their position is locked in for the long run. Ross Colton has shown more in his amount of games than Mitchell Stevens has in 42. Harsh reality, that's how I see it. I'll go a step further. Jamel Smith, in my opinion, has showed more during his tenure than Mitchell Stevens. It's not necessarily a knock on Mitchell Stevens. This is a healthy competition that you want transpiring if you're the Lightning. Your bottom six always needs to be competitive. And whoever's playing the best should be in the lineup. There is nobody in there that deserves to be in the lineup uh, with an ironclad fist um, when you're evaluating these bottom six players, mainly the, the, the last, you know, the fourth line for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So to answer your question, I hope I put it pretty bluntly. He doesn't get his starting position back. I don't think he's deserved it. He needs to earn it a bit more, and Ross Colton has done more in fewer games than Mitchell Stevens has done in 42. Now, do I think they're going to get Mitchell Stevens in before the regular season ends at the expense of Ross Colton? I, I actually believe that. But do I think once the playoffs begin, Ross Colton is in and Mitchell Stevens is out? Yeah, I do. I do. Greg, I, I wish next time you would not hold back so much on your thoughts. I wish that you would kind <laughs> I of... I had to get that off my chest. I had to get that off my chest, man. And I don't disagree with you. I, I mean, I mean, Ross Colton is producing offense. He's got, what, three goals uh, in now 11 games, or four goals, sorry. Uh, two of them have been the opening goal of the game, and the other two have come in the third period. One of them gave Tampa Bay the win. The other one tied them in that game against Columbus, and then Braden Point scored the winner just after that. He had that shootout goal in Dallas, which was a beautiful goal. Uh, in a pressure situation, being the first guy up after Dallas had already scored, he performed there. He's winning, what, 57 58% of his faceoffs. There are so many attributes that Ross Colton is bringing to the ice that Mitchell Stevens hasn't. He scored a few goals here and there. He's got great speed. Mitchell Stevens can kill penalties. He can win some faceoffs, too. He's a, he's a plus 50% guy. But... He had the opportunity in the bubble last year to start, was in the starting lineup. It was, it was between him and Carter Verhage for ice time and, and playing time and, and you know, in, in the lineup on a consistent basis. And we kind of went back and forth between the two throughout the postseason. Um, you know, that, to me, that was Mitchell Stevens' chance to really take a step forward. He didn't seize it. Not that he you know, played horribly, but in game two against Columbus, it was his misread on a play that led to a Columbus power play goal. So you look at those little intangibles and not that Ross Colton is mistake free, but he doesn't kill penalties and they don't need him to kill penalties on this team. They have plenty of guys that can do it. Um, I think that there's no, I don't think you can even entertain the idea to put Mitchell Stevens back ahead of Ross Colton on the depth chart at this point in time. Uh, Ross, Ross Colton has done everything that you've asked him to do and more. He has exceeded everything that you had in mind for him 
when he came up. I don't, so I don't think there's any way, shape, or form you can entertain the idea that Mitchell Stevens comes back and has a spot in this lineup. Ross Colton has four goals through 12 career NHL games. Mitchell Stevens has three for 42. And, and you look at the way Colton plays. He's always around the net. He understands it. And he said that his first game when he scored on that second shift that he's always been taught, go to the net, get to the net, get to the dirty areas. Like he totally understands that and didn't test the waters. He jumped right into it in his NHL debut. Yeah. And I think that tells you a lot about who he is as a player and what he understands and what he's been taught along the way. E. I don't think there's any way Ross Colton comes on this lineup. Maybe it's not for this debate. Maybe it's dedicated for a whole new podcast once the playoffs begin. The question is, should Mitchell Stevens get his starting position back when he's healthy at the expense of Ross Colton? The question everybody needs to ask, assuming everybody's healthy and playing well, is that when Kucherov comes back, does Ross Colton come out of the lineup? That, my friend, is the question that everybody wants answered. And whether we do that on another podcast, whether we do that right now, I think time will tell. We might have to let that play out because players play can dip from now until the playoffs begin and injuries always can play a role. But I think that, my friend, is the question, not if Mitchell Stevens comes back, because to me, that's a no brainer. And that question might actually be answered before we even get to our next podcast because of the trade deadline, the trade deadline might solve that situation because, you know, Nikita Kucherov is coming back. So the situation might be resolved before you even get to that point. But it is interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, I had a conversation with a good friend yesterday whose opinion is that it's Tyler Johnson that comes out. It, even, you know, when Mitchell Stevens comes back, it's Stevens goes into the fourth line, Joseph gets elevated, and out comes Tyler Johnson. I don't know if things are going to get that far. Uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you're not sure that John Cooper and the relationship he has with Tyler Johnson would put him in a position to make Tyler Johnson a healthy scratch. I think the thought has to at least be entertained. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I just, I can't see Johnson doing that to a player that he's had with him for basically his entire coaching career. Tyler Johnson has been a part of John Cooper's roster. And when you're a healthy scratch, it can be an embarrassing situation. And Tyler Johnson has already been through a couple of embarrassing situations this year, not his own fault, but by being placed on waivers twice since October. Uh, so, you know, there are those elements that come into play. Do you want to do that to a player that has done a lot for this organization and, you know, and, and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, I, when, if, if there, if there are no changes to this roster of forwards before we get to May 11th, 12th, 13th, whenever the playoffs begin uh, and assuming Nikita Kucherov is healthy enough to come back for game one, that is going to be a, a and they're good decisions for coaches to have, but they're still difficult Remember. decisions to make. You're right. It's about the logo, not the player. Yep. And John Cooper wants to win just as much as anybody else. He's not an idiot. He understands that, yes, he's had a lot of history with Tyler Johnson, but that's also too when Tyler Johnson was really productive. Yep. Does he give them the benefit of the doubt to start the playoffs? I can see that happening. I'm trying to be realistic for our audience here when they listen to this show, what you're going to see and what you're going to get. I could see a scenario where if everything's equal, everybody's back healthy, Johnson's in the starting lineup for game one of the first round of the playoffs. If his play dips and he's not productive, perhaps that is a short leash. I'm not telling you that's the route I'd go. I can see that one playing out more so than right off the bat. Johnson's a healthy scratch to begin the playoffs. And let's remember, this is the same coach that did bench Nikita Kucherov for an entire period 
and overtime sure. last year. And I think that was a watershed moment for the team. I really do. I really think that that was that last year. That was last year. Oh, boy, that was like ages ago. Yeah, it was it was it was a year and a half ago at this point, but it was last season for sure. But yeah, he he did that, and there was a lot of people were saying, "Geez, he, how do you get the message through to Nikita Kucherov to stop turning the puck over in those areas of the ice?" And it finally did that as he turned the puck over to Anthony Declare, who went down and tied the game um, in uh, in in the third yeah. period. And then you know the, the dichotomy there was Anthony Sorelli got the game winner goal in overtime, right? And, right. And you, you can't tell I remember this game very vividly, can you? Um, your memory the dichotomy between a young player ascending like Sorelli uh, delivering in a key time and a veteran MVP yeah. like Nikita Kucherov letting the team down at a key time in the game you know so I, I remember that dichotomy very well so John Cooper has shown the penchant for making those difficult decisions when he has to so maybe it does come to that point uh, with a player who he's had a lot of success with throughout his entire coaching career and Tyler Johnson has meant a lot to the success of this franchise since he's been here, but there's no doubt that his level of play has dropped. All right, before we get to our fan questions, we do have to make sure we mention our sponsor, manscaped.com, and flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your hole safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use the code BOLTS to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. And two things to keep in mind when we're talking about the summer and the weather really starting to be an issue. The Crop Preserver-E, a little anti-chafing uh, ball deodorant and moisturizer. It gets hot. You need to feel fresh down there. Make sure you do it. And also to the refined cologne. You've had this. I've had it. It it just, again, you're going to be sweating a lot soon, if not already. You want to smell good, especially for your significant other. So make sure you get that refined cologne. Yeah, the cologne in particular. Um, uh, just walking to the rink, Greg, from the parking lot, just to the rink when the weather starts to change closer to summer temperatures and we're pretty much there for the most part. That cologne comes in very handy, even for just myself. Even if I'm not looking to impress anybody else on my walk to the rink, at least I can impress myself by saying, you know what? It's probably bad. As you should, as you should listen, guys, we're, we're here to try and help you be better at grooming and just, and smelling better and looking better. And uh, you should take us up on that. What is it? 20% off. Yep, 20% off. Use the code BOLTS at Manscaped. It's 20% off and free shipping. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, they have some great writers over there. They do. They do. Uh, all right, let's let's get to some of these questions. Always uh, one of my favorite parts is to interact with everybody. If you ever have any questions for our podcast, just simply use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter. You can also email them to me, Eric at Lighting Insider. Dot com and we will get to them. If you want to uh, tag Greg on Twitter as well, it's at Greg Lanelli uh, on Twitter. And this comes from Phil, and I just want to get this one because he didn't necessarily tag us as part of the podcast, but it's a, it's a good question. He asks, when Nikita Kucherov comes back or recovers, can the Lightning send him to Syracuse on conditioning without breaking rules or putting him on waivers? I believe he can only start during the playoffs without cap issues. Uh, Phil, you are correct in that last part. 
once he if he's activated at any point off the long-term injury list during the regular season his cap hit does come into play and that starts a whole chain of events just to make the team cap compliant as we're seeing with Mitchell Stevens right now Mitchell Stevens is still on LTI because he's been out since January 23rd when he hurt his leg in Columbus so as long as he's on that conditioning uh, assignment he doesn't count against the cap. Now, when he's ready to be activated and cleared to play, that's when he would count against the cap. So it, wor- it would work the same way with Nikita Kucherov. Just because he's the former MVP and everything like that doesn't mean he can't go on an assignment, a uh, conditioning assignment. The Lightning have shown they don't do that with players established like Nikita Kucherov. Um, you know, when Steven Stamkos came back from his broken leg, he came right back in the lineup. When Anthony Sorelli missed some time, he came right back in the lineup. So they don't typically do this with veteran players. But no, the option is potentially there if they want to go down that path. I'm glad you're here to, to explain that because I think that is fascinating. I, I also think it's just fascinating. Will they activate him before the playoffs? As you mentioned, there's going to be, have to be some juggling going on there with the salary cap. The good news is it's going to be late in the season where you're not talking about his full salary. You're talking about a, a small portion of it. But still, Tampa Bay is so up against the cap. Even that amount, they're going to have to do some juggling. It's a small amount, but it's still a small amount of $9.5 million. So it's not like Mitchell Stevens, who's what are you making nine hundred thousand? So it's, there's a you know there's a huge difference between what Stevens's cap hit would be even in the last two weeks of the season compared to what Nikita Kucherov would be. It would still cause some massive uh, salary juggling just to remain compliant on Tampa Bay's part. Uh, this is one from Joyce that she got in just after we recorded last week. So I want to get this one here. Um, when Seattle drafts from teams in the league. Do they absorb the entire contract as well? As an example, Tyler Johnson's no trade if he's the player that gets taken by the Kraken from Tampa Bay. And if that's the case, would that be a negative for choosing a player? You do absorb the contract. Uh, There was a clause in the CBA prior that a team did not have to honor those no trade clauses when they acquire a player. I think that has since been removed. Uh, I think in this new CBA that went into effect starting this season. So yes, they would absorb the entire, the entirety of the contract that includes the length, the salary and any clauses that would be in there. Could that be a negative? Yeah. I think some teams, just as we've seen with Tampa Bay, they've been limited in some of the moves that they can make because of no trade clauses and the number of players on this team that have them in some capacity. So I, it, it would just depend on what Ron Francis wants to do in Seattle if he would see it as a negative deterrent or not. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, I Tyler Johnson, I, it, it comes back to also too. what do you, what do you think he has left in the tank? I mean, that that's the other thing too. What type of player are you getting? And I think for Johnson, that's why in many ways, I was, I thought his, his season would be a bit more productive this year because of, a lot of the things he's been dealing with the last year being put on waivers. Um, you know, so I, I just wonder too, how much of the evaluation process when it comes into Johnson is not only salary, but you're looking at his production saying, what type of, what type of guy am I getting? Yep. And uh, everybody just thinks it's a given that because Tyler Johnson's from the state of Washington and Seattle coming in that, you know, you could market your team around a guy like Johnson. Here's a hometown player. And there are elements of that, but you still have to be able to play. And that's where it comes on Ron Francis and his staff to determine whether or not. And let's also not forget saying that Tyler Johnson would be a hometown pick for the Seattle Kraken is sort of like saying 
somebody from Miami is being picked by a team in Tallahassee. It's, it, it's a four hour difference in time to get from, from Spokane, which is on the Eastern part of Washington to Seattle, which is on the far West coast of Washington state. So yeah, he's from Washington state. And I know as a whole, there's not a ton of players who hail from Washington that have made the NHL. So in that aspect, that is true, but it's a four hour drive. So it's, he's not a Seattle kid. He's a Washington state kid. And he's about as far away from Seattle as you can get. So there's a lot of sediment there for sure. I just don't know if, if you're Ron Francis and you're trying to build a team, you're not trying to build a marketing campaign. You're trying to build a team. And if that's the case, I'm not sure that Tyler Johnson is a slam dunk of a pick as many people think, unless Julian Breezewald goes to Ron Francis and say, Hey, let's do this. And we've certainly seen that in the past. It's a good point. Good point. All right. From Lee, uh, haven't liked the process of the team the last two weeks. Do you know what it is? Fatigue, lack of attention to detail, injuries, combination of these things. Better pull it together or I see some big disappointment come playoff chain. I love Lee's takes because he, he sends a lot to me. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't answer all of them. But yeah. Lee can be – it's like when Lee says something negative, something positive about that. It's just, it just seems to turn out that way. If Tampa Bay falls behind 2 nothing, I sometimes I get a comment from him that says, oh, game over, I'm not watching anymore. Next thing you know, Tampa Bay's up 5-2. So I, I get a lot of those from Lee, and, and I think it's great. Um, so, it, but we talked about the fatigue and all that other stuff that's kind of gone into it. As far as pulling it together, again, this is now a team with championship pedigree. They went through what they experienced in 2019, turned that into what they experienced in 2020, I think this is a team with a much different mentality when you get to the playoffs, even in this strange season, like even like I wouldn't even be totally concerned about where they finish in the standings and whether it's first, second or third. I don't think they fear any of the team, either Carolina or Florida, that they would have to face in the first round. There's a respect factor, but I don't think it's a fear factor. I think they understand what it's going to take to beat whatever team they play. So I'm not concerned. Again, I've said this before, how they're playing right now does not mean how they're going to play when the playoffs start. It's yeah. they're completely different situation. So I, I understand the concerns and I see the concerns and I'm, I'm with you. And then that some of the evaluation, but I just don't think the way that the team played right now is going to have any bearing whatsoever when May 11th or 12th. Yeah. And I just, I think it's a team that's just not playing as desperate. They're, there are other holes in their game right now. I think that tightens up once the playoffs begin, because I think this team deserves the benefit of the doubt when it comes to something like that. I just, I, I just don't think it's a team that is playing as desperate as some other teams they are playing. I agree. I agree. And Carolina, I think has uh, something to prove. Uh, certainly know Florida does as well, where the lightning are just, they've already proven who they are. Now it's just going to be again, just like last year, the regular season is the regular season. The lightning are going to be, judged on how they do in the postseason uh from meg uh okay eric with april 12th coming up do you see us making a big move not to get somebody but to clear up fat cap space and if so who uh well we certainly went into the trade deadline and what we think they're going to do but the aspect here that meg brings up is to clear cap space and it's not an invalid question uh, because cap space is going to have to be cleared by next year we've mentioned it before the Nikita Kucherov injury, all it did was kick the can down the line to Tampa Bay salary cap issues, which are going to come up again once we get to 
hopefully October in the start of a regular season by the time we get there. So it's an interesting thought. Do you try and clear up some cap space now? I don't think so because Julian Breezeball has come out and said that everything they're doing right now and every evaluation they're making right now is about this year. They understand what's coming down the road, but that's why they're more concerned. They're overly concerned with trying to repeat and have a chance to put the best team possible on the ice for the playoffs. And to me, if you kind of read between the lines there, trading salary cap space now is not something that's going to entertain. That's an off-season situation to deal with. No, and I think this, you clear some cap space by not re-signing guys too. And that might be something that is going to be part of the decision process in the off-season, but not now. I, I think, which is one of the reasons why it would take a lot to move even a guy like Matthew Joseph if they were going to pull the trigger on something like that. Yep, totally agree. Uh, from Chris, why do you think this team with all of its weapons has struggled with scoring recently? Also, what happened to the power play? It seemed awfully quietly, quiet recently. Thanks. Uh, yeah, the power play, it, again, the power play goes through ebbs and flows. There's been times where the power play has looked dominant this year, and then there's times where it's just looked absolutely stagnant. And it's, it just kind of comes and goes with it. And it's different this year, too, because you're playing the same teams over and over again. So they understand your tendencies a little bit better than if you were playing a, a three-game stretch against Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver in January, where they don't see you very often, and maybe you have an opportunity to find some more success because you're seeing in some of these games how much more aggressive teams' penalty kills are against Tampa Bay because it's the same teams every night. It's the same seven teams every night throughout the season. So that's part of the power play situation. And as far as the the scoring kind of drying up, we you know we talked about the added ice time, the added responsibilities, and I think fatigue in some ways, more mental than anything else, has kind of, you know, pulled this, the team, drug them down just enough in the middle of the season to have an effect on all of their top players at the same time, which you're not used to seeing. I think that's the biggest reason why some of the offense has kind of not completely disappeared. And, and look, they had a three-on-one chance against Detroit, right? Like 99 out of 100 times, Steven Stamkos is scoring that opportunity, uh, the goaltender helped me out. Thomas Grice, I, Thomas came Grice. Over, made a fantastic save. You know, it, I think it hit the shaft of his stick. So, it, you know, sometimes puck luck doesn't go your way. Brighton Point hit a post yesterday, like clean off the post. Um, you know, even in the game on Saturday against Detroit, they hit, what, four posts in that game. So you're going to have those situations where you need a little puck luck on your side. And that is certainly, you know, sometimes you create your own breaks, but certainly the puck luck has kind of disappeared from them as, uh, as well a little bit recently. Yeah, offense comes and goes. I'm not going to get too concerned about it. Kucherov coming back is going to help tremendously. Takes a little bit of pressure off points. And I, I think their power play, some of that is just how infrequent they've been on the power play too. Those, oh, yeah. Those, those sometimes, the, the lack of opportunities can hurt how comfortable you are and what groove you're in when it comes to that. From Al, uh, we talked about Ben Thomas, but his question is, is Ben Thomas here to stay? I don't think he's waiver exempt. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he would clear waivers. Too many teams looking for good, young, right-handed defensive prospects. This year on defense or on the waiver wire is a little bit different because everybody's so tight against the cap with the flat cap and everything. So if there's a year to get a player through, this would be the year. Uh, he is. He does require waivers, and he 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 had to go through waivers at the beginning of the year. He had to go through waivers at the beginning of last season, as well. Uh, but we know with the injuries that they have to Ruda, 
and Chernak right now, he is up on basically an emergency situation, which means he doesn't require waivers to be sent back down. So that's, that's the parameters of what he is uh, up for right now. So if Chernak and Ruda were to come back, say, next week and Thomas was still here, unless they use a regular recall on him, there's no waiver requirement to send him to the taxi squad or uh, back to Syracuse and let him play some games down there. Uh, yeah. So is he here to stay? I guess a lot of that's going to depend on, A, just as we've seen with Ross Colton, his play. And then the second part of that is the injury situation. If injuries dictate that he has to stick around longer, he'll stick around longer. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I, I think, does he play anymore from now until the end of the trade deadline? We'll see. But part of me says this might be enough when it comes to whether they like Thomas at least this year compared to going out and getting a veteran defenseman, because that will cost something. We'll see how that plays out. All right. From our friend at lightning man. Uh, do you think goalie is an issue? We can't seem to win when Vasilevsky isn't playing regardless of who is backing up. Do you also think we have fell back into the offense first style of play? We got away from during our cup run, or is this just the inevitable season ups and downs? I don't think backup goaltender is an issue. I know we've talked a lot about this. Uh, in recent episodes. Uh, as much as people are down on Curtis McElhaney, I can't imagine what they would think if Christopher Gibson has to go back in and start again because I think he didn't look very good uh, on limited chance. He only faced 17 shots. He allows four goals. Uh, not all on him. Some of it is on him uh, in his performance on Sunday. Uh, I mean, Andre Vasilevsky, you're, you're going to win or you're going to lose with Andre Vasilevsky. And if you lose Andre Vasilevsky, it doesn't matter what you do. You don't have the cap space to make a move anyway, regardless. And uh, so that is what it is. Uh, as far as uh, falling back to the offensive first off, I don't get that sense. I know that John Cooper talked a little bit after Saturday's game that he felt the team was pressing a little bit for a third goal after they got up 2 nothing, And I think that was opponent-driven. I think you go back to the first meeting – between Tampa Bay and Detroit this year at Amelie Arena and how quickly they were up 3 nothing. I thought – I got the feeling they thought that that game was going to be that way again, and then Detroit turned it up and they started checking better and, and kind of took that time and space away. But I don't think as a whole – I'm not seeing an impatient team. I don't think they're forcing plays. Like, when they're forcing plays, it's, it's the east-west passing that gets intercepted. And while that's, I think, creeped up just a little bit, I don't think it's an overall issue that I have to concern myself with. Again, a, a veteran team that not understands how to play more of a patient game than they did before. Uh, and then to his point, I think some of it is just the ups and downs of a normal season. Yeah, I think that's most of it. I do. It, it's hard for a team. You know, I always laugh when when coaches and players say, you know, we need to play full 60 minutes. I mean, you know, apply it to you know, every game in the regular season, you're just going to have some clunkers and you're going to go through slumps, even the really good ones. The thing where Tampa Bay has uh, dealt with those slumps better than others is the fact that they've had Vassy to stop some of this, you know, uh, bad play. And I think we understand some of the things they need to work on, but Vassy is going to cover up a lot of warts for this team. That's just how they're built in many ways. And in terms of their backup, I've been fine with Curtis McElhaney. From Eddie Geller, uh, any thoughts on the Bally's remand? Uh, I'll be honest with you, Eddie, because the uh, rebrand or the transition from Fox sports to Bally sports took place with all home games. I haven't had a chance to watch it under telecast yet. 
Uh, I know I've heard a lot of people talk about the um, score bug, which is normally up in the top left-hand corner, has been brought down to the bottom part of the screen, and it's kind of taken away some plays when they're along the wall. I haven't witnessed that yet. I have not been able to watch a game yet on Valley Sports. Uh, I'll have a better answer for uh, Eddie here with the team on the road, with the next four coming up on the road, to get a better feel for it. But if it's just the change in name, it, it shouldn't affect anything. It's just different logos and everything else is the same. The broadcast is the same. The broadcasters are the same. The guys in the truck are the same. Everything is, is exactly the same. Uh, but I'll, I'll get a better look and feel for things when I actually watch a game on Bally's next week. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't watch the games either from that standpoint because we're at home on, on the radio side. But um, I don't know. The, the, the ticker, or as you mentioned, the – what do you call it? The – the score, the score bug. Yeah, the score bug. That's been the only thing that I've noticed when I've glanced, and it looks good. It looks good. I, I, I can't give you any more analysis other than that. I, I've now I will say I've watched um, a couple of the first uh, Rays games with Bally's in charge, and the ticker on the bottom of the baseball screen didn't bother me at all. Um, you know, I think in some ways that it's actually a little distracting up in the left hand corner. Uh, I, I think the other thing a lot of people talked about is. The, the shot the shot clock, you know, that used to be up in the score bug. It's not, apparently it's only there sometimes. And I know a lot of people think that's important. And I like to see it too, uh, from my standpoint, when I'm watching a game. Uh, but from the baseball standpoint, it hasn't bothered me down at the bottom. And they do have a pitch count down there uh, for baseball games. Uh, but again, we'll, I'll, get a, I'll get a look and feel for it um, coming up this week as they hit the road for four games. Uh, from Patty... Do you feel like teams have found the quote unquote book on us and are playing us like we have played them? They are all over the team. They know what their main plays are and stomp them. Now we have to figure out how to combat that and win or have the bolts just been a little off. I think that goes back to the fact that you're playing the same teams all the time. Tendencies are easier to figure out. Uh, there's certainly plenty of, of tape on a team that won a Stanley cup championship last year. Everybody in the league was watching you know, the final four uh, in those games the, from the conference championships to the Stanley Cup playoffs. The personnel is pretty much the same for Tampa Bay, a couple of new faces here and there, but their style of play hasn't changed. So certainly there's more tape on teams. And especially this year when you're playing the same teams, there's that much more tape and not just tape, but familiarity on the ice. Sometimes what you see on tape doesn't translate on the ice, but they're, they're in a situation now where they've played every team in their division at least four times. Columbus, just hit that four-game mark last week, but you've played everybody in your division at least four times. I just think the tendencies start to get picked up a little bit more. Uh, they understand that you can, if you pressure the puck enough, force Tampa Bay into situations where they're going to give the puck up. Uh, I think that's what teams are starting to try and do. Uh, that's where it is imperative on Tampa Bay to make better and quicker puck decisions to get themselves out of danger because they're so gifted offensively that they can find an open player it's going to turn into offensive opportunities. Uh, so I think that's the biggest part about that. And I do think to the last part of the question, I think the team has been just off a little bit the last couple of weeks. Lack of practice time hurts. Kucherov coming back is going to help. And I do think the fact they've played a bunch of these teams over and over again, you're just not fooling anybody anymore. And so Detroit has defended Tampa Bay a lot better now than they did earlier in the year. And that's just kind of the product of this year and the way the schedule has played out. So I'm not overly concerned. I actually think this helps Tampa Bay heading into the playoffs because now you're used to playing a team uh, consecutively more than 
one time uh, in a row. And I think that in many ways will help prepare you for the playoffs. Especially if it's Carolina, who they've already had to play four times in a row once this year. Um, love this, uh, this name. First time caller, long time listener. Uh, we touched on this a little bit, but we'll, we'll address it again. With Mitchell Stevens coming back, do you see any way they could ship out Tyler Johnson and deal for blue line help for another tough run? Again, if I'm an opposing GM, first of all, any deal that you want to consider for Tyler Johnson, he still has a full no trade clause. And while he did submit teams previously that he would entertain a thought for a trade for, they would have to go back to him again and make sure that that list is still valid or expand the list or ask for a new list. And he's well within his rights to say, no, I want to stay here. Uh, the other part of that is, is any deal that you might consider for Tyler Johnson, you're going to have to eat some salary. It's just the way it works. If you look at a lot of these trades that have been made around the league this year, a lot of them entertain or are uh, including salary retention on one of the team's parts. So you're talking about, you're going to have to, keep some cap space, whether it's 20%, 25%, you can go up to 50%. Are you willing to main, to retain $1.5 million of basically dead cap space? I think Tyler Johnson has three more years left on his contract. Are you willing to do that in a deal? I think that's something you also have to consider when it comes to talking about potentially moving a guy like Tyler Johnson. Yep. There's a lot of hurdles you're going to have to, I think, go through when it comes to Tyler Johnson and teams that are going to acquire him. How much salary do you want to pick up, if any? What are you giving up to get a guy like that? Are you willing to take a guy like that in an expansion draft? I don't know. I think Tyler Johnson's play over the next few games into the playoffs could go a long way in determining what that team does, whether it's through the expansion draft or whether it's Tampa Bay choosing to deal him in for what. Yep. And our last question again, uh, love, love the name here, Drunk Kalorn. <clears throat> Do you feel like adding a right-hand shot D is a must? I know teams are vehemently against taking on salary to make deals work, but I would think it wouldn't be too hard to send a Borgman slash Shen the other way to balance cap. Look, everything is a give and take. So it's easy for us on this side of the ledger to say, okay, I'm going to trade that guy and that guy for this guy. But you've got you've to make it work on the other side. The other team has to go, you know what? Yeah, I like that. Let's do it. So there are two sides to every deal that has to be consummated. There are two sides that have to go back and forth. So, you know, like everybody says, just trade Tyler Johnson. Well, it's not, you can't just say, I want to trade Tyler Johnson. You have to find a, a willing partner. You have to find parameters of a deal that's going to work for both sides. Uh, you know, the, the equation of any deal is always, everybody wants to ask who won the deal, who won that deal. Sometimes a deal has to be even out. Sometimes a deal has to be straight up. So uh, there are so many aspects that go into this that it's just, it, it can't just be so easy to say, okay, I need this player on your team. You need to take this player on my team. It's not, it's not how the, how the, the trading system works. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth and, you know, like anytime we get near the trade deadline, Greg will, they'll inevitably put a shot of whatever team's general manager is up in the booth or the, the you know, club seats or wherever they're happening to be sitting and he's on the phone. Oh, I wonder who he's talking to. DMs talk to other GMs all the time about players. Are you willing to move this player? What do you think of this player? That stuff, conversations take place all the time. So there's always a lot of back and forth that take place, but it's never just as easy to say, well, I'm going to trade this guy for that guy. There's so much more that has to go on. Do they need a right-handed defenseman for depth? 
you know, I think they can make do without one. Would it be nice to have? Sure. And they have some things they can do internally. If they don't like their options internally, then they have to decide what are they willing to give up to get somebody to acquire that depth. And that's what Julian Brees and his staff are doing right now. Yeah, and uh, we're a week away from it as we record here right now, which means, Greg, we're probably going to have to push back our next podcast at least a few hours to accommodate for whatever situations might have uh, taken place before the April 12th trade deadline. We've also been in contact with Dave Pagnota from the fourth period who will join us uh, at some point to recap the trade deadline and, and, the, and what took place around the league. So hopefully we'll have a lot to talk about. Sounds like it could be a lot more quiet <laughs> than usual uh, for a lot of uh, parameters that we've discussed before. But uh, next podcast should be a lot of fun because we'll have answers to some of these questions that people have brought forth to us this week. I will be curious to see, does a team like the Carolina Hurricanes make a push for a goaltender? We'll have to keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on it, E. I think it's very interesting because I think they think they may be a goaltender away from coming out of their division. So keep an eye on it. Keep an It'll eye. Be fun. And the, the Panthers. Yep. Panthers are, you know, they've looked, they just brought in Spencer Knight as uh, their third yep. goaltender on the taxi squad. And, you know, what did they do? And they just brought in that defenseman from North Dakota, who was one of the more ha- highly sought after college free agents. So uh, a lot of interesting times indeed in the next week or so. So next week, should be a lot of fun, Greg. As usual, I'm already looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you, E. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Yep. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get them. Apple, Stitcher, Google, uh, Spotify. It's available on all platforms. Uh, hit the rate review. Give us the five-star review. If you have any questions, reach out to us uh, at Eric underscore Erlinson on Twitter, at Greg Lanelli on Twitter. My email is eric at lightninginsider.com. And the next time we talk, it'll be past the trade deadline. It'll actually be a lot of fun to get your questions. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.